0: Well, you're listening to ready set go real estate investing podcast presented by brandon elliot this show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate motivate and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment for more information please visit brandonelliotinvestments.com thank you for listening and enjoy Welcome back everyone to Ready, Set, Go Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Today on the amazing show of Ready, Set, Go, we're very excited. We have a rock star over in the Indiana area in the Midwest that has been crushing it creatively. So I like to call him the creative king because definitely he stands out with at 1.64 units he's downsizing a little bit at this point kind of refixing his books to make it more presentable to banks but he's at 54 right now all creative financing which is one of my favorite strategies i mean there's so many different strategies to really go after but creative financing is something you know very tremendous a lot of people can get in with very little money down or none at all and make it still a win-win situation. So what I've noticed is when a lot of people out there, when they fail in real estate, you know, they start off with plan A and then they kind of just jump to like plan Z when the problem occurs instead of going A, B, C and uh, just because they don't know all the different creative financing or strategies out there to be able to make it a better situation. So with that being said, very excited to have you on here, Brandon. What's going on, man? How are you? Good morning, man. It, it's things are good. I've uh, been making some changes, like you said.
1: Sold five properties, a total of nine units. Okay, I sold one a couple of years ago. That's why there's a ten discrepancy. But yeah, uh, sold nine units recently with the intention of just paying off a bunch of personal debt and restructuring things, moving things around on the monopoly board to uh, to not only make things look better to the banks, but just to make life simpler as well. You know, I love uh, it. Yeah. Creative financing was was kind of a, it, it was a strategy that came to me out of necessity. You know, I I I was a factory worker. I was making like 14 bucks an hour. So coming up with 25% down for a bunch of
0: properties, just, you know, it was never going to cut it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I can definitely relate. I mean, for a long time I was working in uh, the restaurant industry and I'm making minimum wage, working two jobs, trying to be able to support an income. Nevertheless, try to come up with a down payment. So I personally had to get creative as well, and I leveraged credit, personal lines of credit, and business lines of credit with zero percent interest for eighteen months and, and so forth to be able to either purchase properties or every single remodel has been on credit. So, so I can definitely relate, and I think a lot of other listeners out there can as well. For anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, do you mind just diving into? First of all, I love the name. So I think we're already connecting here for anybody that doesn't know who you are. Do you mind just diving into who you are, where you're from and what kind of business you, you are currently running? Yeah. So
1: I'm Brandon Hicks. I'm from Kenneville, Indiana. And uh, at this point, I'm a full-time buy and hold real estate investor. I own and self-manage 54 units. Um, Mostly small multifamily. I've got a 12 and 16 unit apartment complex, a bunch of duplexes, a handful of single family houses. And uh, my next move once all this stuff is, once I'm done moving things around on the board, as I like to say, I want to start getting into commercial investing. Small multi-tenant retail, basically. Service-based or experience-based businesses in a retail building, I guess, is the way I like to put it. Like a mixed use yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and, and I'm hoping to do some of that creatively as well, but more than likely we'll end up syndicating some deals, which is how you and I met. Yeah. Met at ben Leibovich's syndication workshop.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yep. Now there's so many rock stars there. I really love, I think, investing in yourself and really putting yourself in that atmosphere. There's a great amount of education, especially if you're going to the right events, but yep. the networking is truly where it's at. Absolutely. So, yep. so I, I love it let's talk about self-management for a second because I I do self-management as well, but my portfolio is a little bit less than yours. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, a lot of people, every time I I tell them that I'm virtually doing self-manage my properties, they like, they can't wrap their heads around it. So Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize how special it was, but I'm sure you can relate, you know, whenever you tell somebody, they're probably like, you know, how the hell are you doing it? Right. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, even when I had 64 units, it was a snap. I mean, it's mostly paperwork. Um, all of my properties are within a half hour drive, so I can I can be there fairly quickly when I need to be. I do some of the physical work on turnovers. Okay. But the rest rest of it, you know, once the tenant's in place, the ongoing maintenance stuff, I hire all that out. You know, so I've I've got a couple of people that I go to for that. You know, I I do all my own leasing. Again, it's it's mostly paperwork and, and I enjoy that side of it. I'm very organized. Good. So, you know, technology helps a lot.
0: Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I think being organized is like the, the key ingredient to it. If you can be organized, put systems behind it and really not procrastinate to the end of the week, but actually just keep up with it as you go, it's not going to back up and everything will be pretty quick to grab if needed. Absolutely. Um, so your properties are they're not in your backyard, right? You're investing afar, correct? Yeah. Mostly Ohio is uh, where my portfolio is. We're in New York as well now. And then we're doing fix and flips locally here in San Diego as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that
1: adds an extra element to it, but I can relate to that as well. I mean, I've had some fairly large issues come up like water main breaks, a meter brace that... uh, dropped a leg, as they like to say. So, I mean, the meter base needed replaced. And I I purposely tried to solve those problems without going to the property, Yeah, just to kind of get some practice for when I buy stuff farther away. And, and um, it's all doable, you know, yeah. it, you just have to rely
0: on, on your contact base. Yeah, no, I, I feel like they, they say that famous saying, real estate is definitely a relationship built business. Yep. Uh, I think a lot of businesses are, but in this particular situation doing it virtually it's 100 percent. it's all about me finding the right connections people that I can know like and trust and having them understand my vision what I'm trying to accomplish as well and uh and they're just good people over there so so it really does work out but I'm more of a control freak naturally so I think it actually has helped me tremendously because if I was very close to my properties especially in the beginning I would be there every day most likely yep uh, yeah, that's it's something years.
1: I've struggled with as well. In the beginning, when I was buying stuff because I was leveraging them a hundred percent through seller financing with no down payments on most of them, the cash flow was fairly slim. Yeah. So, self hiring a management company was just not possible. You know, and even looking at it, you know, last year. When I had sixty-four units, my rent roll was sizable. I mean, hiring property management at ten percent would have cost close to forty thousand dollars. You know, and there's just not the cash flow
0: there to justify that expense.
1: You know, yeah.
0: No, I get it. Yeah, I mean, mine currently it would be a little over a thousand dollars, and my tenants just aren't that crazy. Like they're they're not they're truly not that bad. They're all blessings. So the amount of work needed to cover a thousand bucks every single month it just wouldn't. Yeah, it doesn't align currently. Right, right. And at some point it might, you know. Of course, yeah. And as I scale, I think it is very important for, for the listeners out there, if you're just getting started, you know, you're always going to want to factor in property management because as you scale, you're, you're not going to be able to and you're not going to want to right. you know, be locked down to having to actually play that role uh, because, you know, you didn't factor it into your budget. Exactly. So I think that cash flow needs to be there and you can just pay yourself uh, in the meantime. So I do want to talk about creative uh, financing in just a moment. But uh, before that, do you mind, you know, is there any tips that you have besides staying organized for any of the listeners if they are going to be doing self-management? To me, it's a lot of common sense. I mean, treat people the way you'd want to be treated.
1: Yeah. And, And I also like to say that, you know, this is a business that I'm making a lot of money in, treating people better than a lot of them would treat me. Yeah, you know. I don't. I don't go to the nth
0: degree when there's some sort of issue, and get upset about it. Is there anything that uh, you do in particular when it comes down to filling a vacancy?
1: Um, one one thing I do that saves me a lot of time is I will not show a unit to anybody without pre-screening their application. Yep. So I use I use a Jotform mm-hmm. application before I just emailed everybody PDF applications. But okay. with the Jotform app, they can fill it out from their phone, so there's no excuse. For for them to not get it to me pretty quick. Okay. And, and you know, with my properties being a half hour away, that saves the number of trips I go out to, to show properties. I, I honestly, I would say that less than 10% of the time that I show an apartment, it, it's to somebody that I'm not signing a lease with, if that makes sense. I mean, 90% of the time when I go to show, we're signing a lease right then and there.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They pre-approved them. Mm-hmm. They know, they know what they're walking into.
0: I do the same thing. It what what would you say is like the number one thing when a prospective tenant calls you up for the very first time? Is there something that you hear on a regular basis? So I don't I don't take very many phone calls. I guess
1: I mean most of it is yeah. through I, I put my listings on Zillow on Zillow Rental Manager. Yeah, yeah. So it gets, yep, gets blasted out to like Trulia and hot Hotpads yeah. and so on. Um, and then I also share them on Facebook through my business page, personal page, and then blast them out to the garage sale pages and so on when I, when I have to advertise a vacancy. A lot of times I don't because um, okay. I have people calling me all the time. But even though I just said I don't take a lot of phone calls. So uh, most of the interest that I get on, on my rental listings is through either you know a Facebook post or through email through Zillow. And and I, I typically just keep a script in my phone, in my notes. And, you know, it's got, you know, some sort of canned response with a link to the application. Yeah. And, and, you know, they, they give me the application. And I kind of go from there.
0: Yeah. I think over over the years of doing it and on a regular basis, because I, I feel like I always have at least one vacancy around um, that I'm looking to fill. So at that point, I've kind of recited and, and know what to say next when dealing with the prospecting tenant. But I did come up with a script and uh, I, I put that in like some show notes a couple of podcasts ago to help out other people because I realize a lot of my friends that are really crushing it with real estate investing have actually been struggling with certain questions to ask and they're wasting a lot of time by not pre screening thoroughly up front. Right. You know, because it costs me money to show the property Mm -hmm. every time. And if I, if it wasn't, then I would be giving my time if I was locally there. Absolutely. Which is even more valuable in my opinion. So at the end of the day, just like you said, it's very important to actually screen thoroughly before you get to that position. I think the number one request or when somebody is asking and calling for the very first time to ask about one of my properties, they're always asking like, Hey, so when can I see it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's hilarious because I'm like, whoa, 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 let's, uh, let me figure out what your wants and needs are and see if this is even a good fit. Exactly. Because yeah, nine times out of 10, it, it might not be. So it's kind of funny.
1: Right. Yeah. The first couple properties I had, I mean, anytime I'd have a vacancy, you know, I would jump up and show it and there'd be nights where I'd leave the house five times, you know, to go show a house. Yeah. And it's, it's just a huge time waste. Um, when I bought the property in Angola, which is about 30 minutes North of me, okay. it was a, it had a very bad reputation. It was very run down. It was kind of the place you go when you have no no else nowhere else to go. Mm. Um, so I would get a lot of very interesting applications. And, you know, I mean, horrible applications. I mean, multiple, you know, drug charges, multiple evictions. I think I found one, one time where uh, the couple had been arrested for beating each other with ball bats. So, nice. you know, why would I ever waste my time to go up and show them in that apartment? Yeah, especially tell them no in person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, you always want to pre-screen. Um, that eliminates the people who are being evicted. You know, immediate. You know, right now they're currently in eviction. Yeah, um, yeah. You catch all that stuff. You just save so much so much time. You know, not showing apartments to people who aren't qualified for it. You know, I, I won't say not a good fit because that's up to them to decide if if they're a good fit for the apartment uh, from their standpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that's why I feel like. You know, it's only about one out of ten showings where I don't sign a lease. Okay, because I'm I'm prepared to rent to them at that point. They have came to the property and found out that hey, it's not a good fit for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. Now, what what kind of software are you using for the the application process?
1: Um, just Jotform. It's just a Jotform application that a yep. friend of mine made. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Okay. Are, are you're doing year leases? Yep. And and I don't. I don't sign new leases. I just let them go month to month after that. Okay. Mainly from a, you know, a time standpoint. I mean, I've got people that have been with me for, you know, me personally since I've owned the properties for six, eight years now, you know, I just don't see the point in going and signing a new lease every year. I mean, I understand why the bigger apartment complexes do it. Yeah. But it's just, I, I've not been able to justify the time. If I had a in-house property manager or property manager or hired, you know, third-party property management, I would probably encourage them to do that because, you know, I'm paying them. I may as well get yeah. my money's worth out of them. For but sure. for my, my time personally, it's just not made sense to go out and sign new leases. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yep. Okay. Is, is there any, I guess, final thoughts before we move on uh, for kind of helping somebody out in the beginning of property management? Um, I, I guess my advice would be
1: if you want to look into using software to manage, Yeah, uh, I would start using it from the beginning. I did not do that. No, so, I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. And I'm using Excel. So I have an Excel sheet for each property, which works out great. My accountant loves it. Yep. But at this point for me to switch over to something like, you know, cozy or building it would be fairly cumbersome. Yeah. So I've just chosen not to do so. As far as rent payment goes, um, I have switched to using ACH polls. A lot of people are are offering ACH as an option to pay rent. Yeah. But it's, it's tenant initiated through like Buildium or tenant cloud cozy. Whereas what I'm doing, you know, I went to my bank, my bank has set me up with ACH to where I can go in and pull from people's bank accounts. So it's, you know, one pull in the first of the month, everybody that signed up for it, it just happens, you know, um, what this sounds bad. I mean, it's pulled whether they have the money or not. So, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, if, if they don't, then they bounce and, you know, they've got a fee on their end.
0: Uh, yeah, but you don't need to worry about it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I just have to, I'll know within 24 hours that it didn't go. Um, so I contact them to get it taken care of, you know?
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so, so you get it regardless, but then you can let them know, like, hey, it, it just showed that it, it might have, the funds might have not fully been in there. I got paid regardless so make sure that you cover your account. Yeah. Well, I don't get, I mean, they pull it but
1: then it bounces. Think of it as like a bad check. Oh, okay. So, you know, I'll see, I'll see whatever, whatever the amount is. I mean, you know, I've got like, I've only been doing it for about four or five months now and I didn't force all my existing tenants to do it. I have probably got around 40, 45% of my tenants signed up on it. Exactly. Now with new leases, it's the only payment option. For sure. Yeah. So, so as time, you know, this will, it'll be a higher percentage of my tenants paying this way. Yeah. But, but you know, just say it's 17 tenants and it's, so it's pulling, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I'll just make a number up, you know, 15 grand or whatever it is. So it'll pull 15 grand the first day on the first, but then on the second day, it's going to bounce. Say I have a tenant, you know, paying 700 a month and it, and it bounces. Then I'll just see where my bank took 700 out of my account and it'll show the tenant's name, you know, that it bounced. Gotcha. So I contact that tenant to take care of
0: it. Yeah. Now does it, does it cost you
1: additional funds to be able to set this up? My bank waived it. Had they not, it would have been $5 per ACH pull, which is, or batches, they call it. So you can have, you know, 25 tenants in a batch or whatever. So I I actually have three different ACH pulls. I have have a handful of tenants that are paying half on the first, half on the 15th. So, you know, they're in batch number one and batch number three. And then I also have some social security type income tenants. Yeah. I get paid on the third. Okay. So I pull theirs on the 4th, you know? So you mentioned you have some that pay on the 1st and then the 15th. Yeah, they pay half the rent on the 1st, half on the
0: 15th. It's only like four or five tenants. Okay. And what is the reason for that? It just made it easier for them. I, I never heard of that. But obviously, you know, you, you figure out their situation and then if it makes sense and you can help them out, then that's awesome. There's there's a lot of people out there that like to do weekly rent. Really? I've we never can. heard of Because they
1: get, you know, you're, you're basically taken, I I have one set up that way. So I was advertising the apartment for 500 a month and they wanted to do weekly. So I actually agreed to it. I I probably wouldn't do another one because it's weekly rent. Rent is not fun, no but it's, yeah, 125 a week for 52 weeks is actually 13 full months worth of rent payments. Yeah. So that's. That's the appeal. And there's other people out there that will do it biweekly because it's 26 payments. Me, I just don't want to have to keep up with, you know, hey, is, this, is, is it their week to pay or not? Yeah. So basically, when I have a tenant that has had issues like paying all in the first, then I would split it up between the first and 15th to help them be more successful.
0: Yeah. I like that idea. I'm currently having one tenant that every month, no matter what, she's always a little bit late and and it breaks my heart. I'm always trying to figure out like, you know, you're paying late fees. Right. And I've waived a couple, try to help out. But then like if she promises and everything and above and beyond, like next month, it's going to be good. And then it's not, then it's like, I can't keep on waiving the late fees, but she's totally okay with it. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to set her up for failure, but maybe there's a good option. I don't know. It might drive me more crazy. I got to figure this out. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's definitely something. That, I only
1: had a couple that were set up that way. Okay. Before I started offering ACH, and because yeah. I really wanted the people to, people to do ACH, yeah, I offer that to a couple of different tenants. Okay. That were kind of on the fence because, like I said, it, it's going to pull it on the first whether they have their money or not. Yeah. So that's scary for some people. You know, they might not have all their money on the first. So by offering the 1st and 15th, I got a couple people to sign up for ACH that probably wouldn't have. Mm. And and I, I mean, I love the ACH. I, I really look forward to the day when, you know, 90% of my tenants are paying that way. And and I could do that if I just wanted to force people. But one of the things that, that I believe when I buy a property, you know, me buying a property that you're renting should not be a negative thing for you as the tenant. You know, no, no. So I try and go in and make positive changes. And with that, you know, if somebody's on a month to month lease when I buy a property, I'm not going to go in and make them sign a new year lease. Mm. Uh, it's not advantageous for me either to sign a year lease with somebody that I don't know anything about anyway. Um, other than, I mean, I do that all the time with tenants I've screened. But yeah. yeah you know, you've got, when you're buying a property with an inherited tenant, you've not screened that person. You don't know how it operates. So, you know, you're yeah. better, I think you're better off just going with the month to month lease anyway, in that case.
0: Yeah. So. No, uh, me personally, I've, I've bought properties before with tenants in and, um, and thankfully not many, <laughs> but it's not, it's not the best and you can almost anticipate that. So yeah, always just assume the worst. And yeah. And just acknowledge you might need to evict this person or what have you, or ma- try to make it on a on a month to month basis. I, yeah. I was trying to do cash for keys to get this one guy out, and it was a triplex. Luckily, so two units were baking up front. I remodeled yeah. that. The back unit it just ended up being chaos, but we finally got him out after like two months. <laughs> yeah, and I've got some great inherited
1: tenants, and I've got some you know not so great stories of past inherited tenants. But for sure, I have, I have two inherited tenants that have been. In their apartments since uh, like 94 and the other one, 96, I think. Yeah. 96 and 98. So, wow. I mean, they've been there for, you know, 20 plus years. Yeah. Um, my Angola 12 unit, I, I still have two of my original tenants. Everybody else is, you know, either, I did a couple of evictions, but most of them just moved out on their own and we rehabbed the units. Yeah. But, I mean, the existing tenants that I had from when I purchased a property, they're great. You know, I mean, they help me keep an eye on the property and, yeah. you know they found several tenants for me, you know, very, very vested in their
0: neighborhood, you know? I love it. Yeah, that's so great. Those are like the the, the cream of the crop that you're really looking right. for. That's yep. awesome. For sure. So, let's talk about uh, creative financing. It's, it's honestly my favorite topic. So, I'd love to hear more about what the hell you're doing with creative financing and how you're getting some of these deals for damn near nothing or, or little to it. So, I haven't, I've not bought anything like this
1: in a couple of years. I've honestly not bought anything in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, just because of the way the market's been. And I, I reached a point where I, I knew that I was kind of, as far as I wanted to go, it's self-managing. Okay. Yeah, so I wanted to just focus on what I had and, and, and do what I'm doing now, you know, move things around on the board.
0: But, Let me ask you, have you ever uh, hired out for property management before? Or like as you start scaling, maybe give them one or two just to see how it goes? I have not and okay. uh and I don't know that I would
1: just because at this point I mean if I were to go out and buy a duplex or something now it would be nothing to roll it into what I already have. Yeah. You know and, and the actual management of my properties is probably no more than, you know, 6 to 8 hours a week. Yeah. So so I probably wouldn't. Now as we're buying commercial properties yeah that's something well I would say that we'll definitely look at, you know, hiring leasing agents if not with some of them, you know, we'd actually have third-party property management. But even with that, I'm hoping that we can we can manage most of that in-house and just have the leasing agents. Okay. Uh, with creative finance though, my first three properties, I used bank financing. The first one was a commercial building for a, I bought it with the intention of renting it to a real estate office that I was part owner of. So I used to be a realtor. Okay. And uh, so I did, the, you know, the, the normal thing. I went, and this was in 2007. I went and uh, borrowed my home equity. You know, yeah. down payment, renovation costs came that way and, and rented the building to that business that I was part owner of. And that worked out for a while. And then eventually I, it just, between the market dropping off and, and me not being interested in that side of the business anymore, I decided to get out of that and really focus on rentals. Okay. So prior to that, I did buy a couple single family houses using I call it ARV financing. So basically the bank I was working with based my loan off of the after repair value. So for the one um, you know to, to get that number I would just give, give my banker a list of everything that I was going to do to the house after I bought it. Yeah. And he would give that to the appraiser and the appraiser came back and said okay this house is going to be worth you know $72,000. You know, or whatever it was. Yeah, and so the bank loaned me fifty four thousand. I think I think that's seventy five percent. And with that, I mean, the purchase price in that house was like thirty two or thirty three thousand. So I had roughly twenty grand left over to fix it up. So I did two houses like that, and then uh, what kind of bank is this? I love that. Are they still offering that? I, I don't know that they are. Yeah, we did we did two deals like that, and then we did a third one that came with a few more strings. I mean, like I, I think of that one, I actually had to, I think I had to go and pay for, you know, say $3,000 worth of remodeling or whatever beats yeah. to them. And they would, they would release the funds. Whereas the first couple, I would literally just call up the bank and say, Hey, you know, take three grand off my line and put it in this account. And, and it was there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So they did tighten up a little bit, but you're, you're talking 2007, 2008, just as the subprime crash was starting to happen. For sure. Sure we're tightening up. It's quite possible you could find a bank that would, would offer a, an ARV line of credit like that. Yeah. Like too. Yeah. Um, what, what is the bank? Um, that was just a small local bank and they don't do anything out of state. I mean, I can share that information with you later if you'd like. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, but I would think any small local bank would be open to discussing something like that.
0: Small local banks are honestly the best. I've I've dealt with so many different banks in the past and what I realized is building the relationships with the small local ones mm-hmm. always, you know, they they go above and beyond to keep that relationship strong and yep. they've waived, you know, a lot of my closing fees over and over and over again. So, it's kind of, it's really crazy. It's awesome. Yeah, when, when they're lending for their <laughs> own portfolio,
1: they don't have to fit in the box of, or you don't as the borrower don't have to fit in the box that they would require you to fit in to do like, you know, Fannie Mae financing or whatever. Yeah. Like conventional financing. For so sure. There's definitely things they can do. And, and now what I do now is we'll get to the land contract thing. But once I go to refinance my land contracts, I don't do them one at a time. We do, we do several at a time. So like the last loan I did was uh, we took eight land contracts with eight different sellers and combined them into one new bank loan. Okay. And you can't go to a mortgage broker and do that. You know, yeah, you have to work with a small bank for that kind of stuff. So after I did those couple of ARV deals, what we, I did do a third one and, and I actually flipped that one. I was a new landlord back then and it was right before Thanksgiving. I was still, still a realtor. I had this misconception that, you know, people don't rent houses in November, December. They wait till after the holidays. Mm -hmm. So I threw it on the market for sale or for rent and it sold almost immediately at full price. So, you know, that just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, but anyway, at, at that point, again, you know, the subprime crash was starting to kick in. So, while I was under contract to sell that house, I actually went into my bank and I'm like, hey, I've got this house I want to buy and I'm going to be giving you this, you know, 54000 or whatever it was back from this one because we're selling it. So, I'd like to buy this other house, you know, same way. And I got a no. For the first time in my life, I got a no on borrowing any kind of money from anywhere. And it was a huge ego hit. Yeah, so, you know this was uh, the beginning of 2009 and so i stopped buying you know for for about close to 2 years i just sat on the sideline and i continued to read about real estate and this and that but but it was a huge ego hit so when i did when i did go back into buying i chose to to go the creative route yep. you know and there's, there's a lot of advantages to that. I mean, just like we said with the banks, I mean, they can kind of play with the terms. Well, when you have a private seller, you guys can set the structure up in any manner that you both agree to.
0: Yeah. It's all negotiable. It's awesome.
1: So I've done some really creative stuff. Um, and then, you know, with the intention of at some point, you know, you build up the equity and at some point you go in and you get bank financing on it. And that's what I've done on most of my deals. I only have, um, so I bought around 60 units on land contract. And currently I only have my 16 unit that is still on land contract and uh, a small commercial building that uh, I'm also coincidentally selling that on land contracts. So I'm buying it on land contracts, selling it on land contract. Uh, I love um, it. Yeah. So with, with the land contracts, I mean, how do you want to approach this? I mean, you, you want to ask specific questions or.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I would love to just kind of figure out the breakdown. I guess first and foremost, like how are you getting those leads? Okay. So this is going to go back to, I decided to go head
1: on into real estate. It was spring of 2011. yeah, went to my other partners in the real estate office and I'm like, Hey, I want out, you know? So we negotiated that and worked that all out. And I immediately, you know, started looking at small multifamily properties. There was a couple that were on the market. I ended up approaching the realtor of a, she had a three unit listed in a town about 30 minutes from me. Okay. And, and with that one, we just negotiated a land contract where I put, I think I put around five or $6,000 down. I think it was $5,000 down. And I paid a little bit less than what they were asking. And, you know, I was responsible for taxes and insurance from day one, all that. Yeah. One thing, one thing that happened at closing, it kind of clicked with me was after the seller paid his real estate fees, he walked away with a check for like $250. So, you know, it kind of planted a seed that, you know, Hey, had that been off market, I might've been able to buy that for $250 down Mm. because that's all the seller got anyway. Right. Yeah. So, so that kind of planted a seed. My next deal. Um, so that, that first deal happened about three months after me getting out of the real estate office. And then right at the end of the year in December, we closed a deal for, I bought a package of three duplexes from a seller that had some health issues on land contract. And with that deal, we, we got even more creative. Um, I, I think I put around five or $6,000 down on that one as well. It was a $250,000 purchase for the three of them. And I, I did offer them because I had these two houses that I did with ARV financing and the commercial building. I had those on one bank loan. So I did offer the seller of these three duplexes a $15,000 second mortgage on those. So I gave him a piece of paper and IOU, you know. Yeah. So so my total down payment on that property was was $30,000. 15 of it was the the note yep. on the other three properties. 6 of it was cash and then around 9 of it was credits for prorated property taxes, prorated rents. And with that, you know, we closed on the eighth of the month, the, the seller had collected rents on the six units. So they gave me credit for the 23 days that I would own it on mm-hmm. paper. And then the security deposits that all the tenants had paid were transferred to me on paper. So I had around $9,000 in credits and, you know, so I bought a quarter million dollars worth of real estate for $6,000 down.
0: I love it. Yeah.
1: And the seed that was planted from the first deal started to grow a little because, yeah. you know the seller. And that six thousand dollars didn't cover her real estate commission or her side of the closing costs. Yeah. So you know, she ended up coming to the table with like eighteen hundred dollars and then with an agreement to pay the rest of her real estate commission in the spring. I think it was like another five or six thousand dollars. So oh, wow. that seed, you know, from before, it made me it grew into the thought that hey, if if this had been off market, I could have bought this property for nothing down because it actually cost her money out of pocket to yes. sell it. And so I, you know, those three duplexes along with the three unit I bought took me from four units to 13 units, you know, within six months. So the following year I didn't do much. I just mainly focused on what I had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, just dealt with that, raising some rents, so on as we I- units. I think
0: that's very important, too, because like for somebody getting started, I know you weren't like getting started at that time, but at the same time, it was kind of the, the beginning uh, stages. So I think it is very crucial for somebody like some of the listeners that when you are getting started in real estate, after you get a, a few of these projects like just sell and especially if you're self managing, mm-hmm. really take a little bit of time to make sure everything is, is running smooth and systemized. right around nine months to 12 months is typically how long it took me in the beginning until mm-hmm. it started getting a, a lot sooner. Yep. So I just recommend that caution of, you know, wait a year before you jump onto the next project in the beginning, especially if you're picking up some bigger multifamily. Yep.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I've definitely done that throughout this journey. Yep. Yeah, you know, take a break here and there. But you know, it, it all happened pretty fast. So I mean, within a, f- a five year period, right at 60 months, I went from four units to 63 units. I love so it. It happens pretty quick, but there were, there were some breaks in there. So that was 2011, 2012. I ended up buying one duplex right at the end of the year. And that one was also listed with a realtor. I put like three or 3,500 down. So the, the seller actually had to come out of pocket a couple grand to make that deal, you know, finalize yeah and and then uh, twenty thirteen I ended up that was kind of my big year. I ended up adding um I added thirteen units that year, and I did that while working, so it was it was a total of let me think here i bought I bought three duplexes, two houses, and a five unit that year. and I did that while being mandated to work fifty to sixty hours a week in the factory I was working at. and you know it it was a tough year. For sure. At the end of that year, sometime in the last couple months, I remember I was stuck at work on a Saturday night and I started, I didn't want to be there obviously, you know, and mm-hmm. I started running numbers on how I could escape. You know, I was paying a guy to mow several of my properties. So I was like, Hey, if I go out and buy a trailer, I already had a commercial mower, you know, for home. Yeah. So if I go out and buy a trailer, you know, I can save 150 a week, you know, on, on all these mowing jobs. Um, if I started doing this myself doing, you know, so I started running the numbers and, uh, and it also hinged upon, you know, refinancing five duplexes that I bought on land contract that I knew I could go and refi. So I refied those, lowered my payments and uh, spring of 2014, I left my job and, and haven't looked back. You know, I, I had 28 units at that time. I think I bought a duplex right at the end of 2014, coincidentally one that I just sold last week. And then uh, beginning of 2015, I bought my 12 unit. And then 2016, I bought um, another duplex, my 16 unit, and did a couple smaller deals. I think I did like 21 units that year. I yeah. love it. Yeah. And that's that's where I kind of just took the pause yeah. and focused on, you know, now it's time to focus on getting all this stuff refied and yep. so on. And we did that last year, refied most of it.
0: So I do want to talk about, you know, where the mindset was when you just not overnight, but you really scaled up. You jumped up pretty big out of nowhere in comparison to the amount of years that you've been in the game, where that mindset shift was. But before we dive into that, what type of properties are these? Like, I guess the area wondering on the class, the condition of the property, and are you doing big remodels on these as you get these for like a steal? So we should also answer the original
1: question you asked as well. Yeah. Where I'm finding my deals. So, So up to that point, I mean, my my first several deals were off the MLS because I was a realtor. That's what I knew, you know. Yep. But it, 2013 is when things changed. I started doing. I won't say a lot of direct mail, but yep. I was pounding, you know, the same sellers over and over until they call me. So I was doing, you know, very targeted direct mail. If I drive by a property or find a property on, you know, one of the local assessor sites or Google Earth, or whatever, then I would, you know, find out who the owner is. I would mail to them, you know, as a personal letter. And, uh, and I bought several properties that way. I also did, uh, I bought my five unit by sending the, the owner a message on Facebook. Yeah. And that one took like a year to develop the relationship, but I ended up getting a great deal on it and and he made good money on it as well. You know, it was a win-win. Um, so as as far as the properties themselves, so mostly small multifamilies, um, I would say that they're B class properties, you know, when I buy them and they're in decent areas. I mean, they're, they're smaller towns, the town that I live in, the population is probably around 10,000. I would say the that uh, where my 16 unit is in Auburn, that's probably, it's a little bigger, you know, maybe 12 to 15,000. Okay. I could be wrong on that. It could be a few, even a few thousand higher than that. But I mean, it's, it's not a whole lot bigger than Kendallville. So they are smaller towns, you know, rural as, <laughs> as Brandon Turner would like to say, um, you know, the, the three units in a, in a very small town, probably only 3,500, 4,500 people. Yeah. So, you know, that one's been a little different as far as the tenants I attract. And that was probably, it was, that was definitely a C class property when I bought it. Um, my Angola 12 unit, definitely a, a C minus when I bought it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the tenant base was very rough. There was- Getting no- a little
0: violence. Yeah. A little crazy.
1: We had a meth lab up there. Nice. Um, just, nice. you know, that that sort of stuff. There When I bought the property, there was- some sort of law enforcement up there on a daily basis. Yeah. It be, you know, an actual, you know, city police officer, officer there for whatever reason. But there was also a lot of, uh, I probably had three or four tenants that were on probation. So there was probationers probation officers there all the time. Wow. And that's something that has changed. I mean, with rehabbing the units and and actually screening and getting a better mix of tenants in there, you know, it's probably about a year ago, I was up there st- talking to one of my, my original tenants that is still there, you know, great lady. She made the comment that she can't remember the last time she saw a cop car in the parking lot. And that um, was just huge testament to it you
0: know, is what we've done there, you know? Yeah. How difficult is it to, to change the class of a property and really try to manage it properly and cut out all the BS there and really start getting good tenants in there? Well, with that particular
1: property, it would have been a whole lot easier had I had some money. Yeah. Um, But by rehabbing it out of cash flow and the cash flow from other properties, it made it a a slower and longer process. So in an ideal world, if I bought that property and had, you know, enough cash on hand to rehab the whole thing at once, I would have immediately went in there and evicted probably half the tenants right off the bat, you know? Yeah. Um, And because there there is a curve, you know, even as you start rehabbing units, when you're doing it slowly like that, I mean, we rehabbed, I think, six the first year. But the word isn't really out there on the street yet, that it's a good place to live. You know, it takes time. And that's that's actually a college town. So for a long time, when I tell people, hey, I've got, you know, a 12 unit Angola, the the misconception would be that I have a bunch of college tenants, right? Because it's a college town. And it was probably, I'm going to say three and a half, four years into ownership before I actually ran into my first college student, you know, Mm. and uh, great tenant. I mean, very professional tenant, I guess, would be professional in a good way yeah. to put it. But, you know, almost immediately we were able to get good tenants as we were rehabbing these units, you know, using Facebook marketing to, to show the rehab and, and they were fairly extensive rehabs. I mean, still cosmetic, but you know,
0: pretty deep. New, uh,
1: yeah. You know, yeah. all new exterior doors, all new interior doors. Cause every one of them been punched and kicked, you know, 50 times. <laughs> yeah.
0: Love it. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> Okay. So let's talk about the mindset shift. You know, I think it's hard for people out there to wrap their heads around, you know, going from, let's say X, you know, 20 units to to 60 units um, within a short period of time. Is there anything that kind of shifted for you or maybe the confidence level or just, you know, the opportunities arrived and you could see them more? What was it? I mean, my confidence
1: definitely went up. I remember, I, I vividly remember leaving work early to go and close on the the three duplex deal. Yeah, and, and having like a bit of a panic attack. You know what I mean? Why is that? Well, because it was pushing my monthly principal and interest payments up to over the four thousand dollar mark. Uh huh. That seemed huge at the time. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm at. Uh, I think I'm at around thirteen five a month now, and at the high point, I was about sixteen five a month. So that seems silly to me now to be stressed out over four thousand a month in principal and inter- interest payments. Yeah, but at that very moment, it, it did stress me out. You know, yep. so at, at some point, you know, the confidence kicks in and you realize, you know, hey, all I can make all the payments in the world as long as the deals make sense and yeah. I collect, collect the rent money. You know, if there's
0: cash flow in between, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. So I don't know that there was a specific mindset shift, but it definitely yeah. took confidence over time. You know, when you're adding a, when you're self-managing and you're adding 12 new tenants or 16 new tenants all at once, there's definitely some work up front
0: that has to be done to bump yourself up to handle that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Have you had any mentors or coaches in the past that has kind of helped you along the way, or a lot of it seems like it was self-taught, um, just diving online? Yeah, a
1: lot of it was self taught. Um, yeah. Back before Bigger Pockets, I used to be on a, a real estate forum called, I think it was Creative Real Estate Online. I don't know if they're still around anymore or not. Okay. I, I used to read a lot of posts um, from like Ray Alcorn. He was a very creative guy. He does commercial stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I just kind of scaled it down to single family and small multifamily. For sure. Um, I, I did have a guy down the road from me who had 40 some units. He, he's p- since passed away. But. He was somebody that I would contact when I'd have, you know, questions, mostly regarding, you know, tenant law and that kind of stuff, because he'd been there and done everything. So when I had to do my first eviction and go to court, you know, he was the guy I called, he talked me through it and, uh, and, and told me that they never show up. So of course my very first one, they showed up, (laughs) but yeah, he, he was somebody I definitely went to as a mentor. That's cool. Um, you know, networking. I, I say networking is is one of my weak spots because I I didn't even attend my first RIA meeting or anything until I probably had you know forty units. You know, really? Yeah, and and now I'm I, I haven't missed a, a four way RIA meeting. You, you know, you had Drew and Adam on. Yeah, I've I've not missed a meeting there mm-hmm. in probably the last six or eight months. Right. I, I love it. A couple other meet meetups. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I used to be uh, somebody that likes to just do everything by myself. And then I realized it's really holding me back the networking and also at the time when I first got started, I did just like yourself all self education, you know, all the books, podcasts, YouTube, I could get my hands on and, um, and it four hours every single day every single day for two years before I felt, you know, finally felt confident in what the hell I was doing and, uh, and actually started getting some of my offers accepted. So it was kind of a process. And then a bunch of learning curves along the way as well, even though I got a lot of the knowledge in the books, taking it out there hands on is a whole different ballpark, a uh, whole right. different game. So yeah. if you could have started over and then had somebody that kind of give you a little bit more guidance along the way, do you think that would have been a better approach or, I mean, you're very successful at this point as well.
1: <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree that it would have been more helpful. I think uh, I think what I get most from networking is I have people to challenge my thinking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, and I have other people that have, the, you know, the same or similar goals. Yeah. Um, you know, when I when I worked a factory job, I would talk real estate all day long, you know, <laughs> and probably drive my coworkers nuts, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have other people to talk to about it. Yeah. And so so like you said, I mean, I was kind of forced because I didn't give myself that outlet to you know, to create all my own thoughts and theories on things. Whereas had I had people to lean on that were doing the same thing I wanted to do, you know, I could have collapsed some time frames. And uh, you know, one one of the things that that's caused some of the recent changes mm-hmm. was I actually reached out to a guy Several months ago, he owns a strip center in Fort Wayne. Okay. You know, so I just reached out to him on LinkedIn to see if he'd be interested in selling it. Yeah. And and of course he you know, everything's for sale, you know, at some point. So what's the right price? Know. Yeah. So we had, you know, you know, we had a conversation and we ended up having lunch and and this guy had he had done a ton of strip center deals and, and other types of commercial deals, just a wealth of knowledge, you know, been there, done that. And, and one of the things he said to me that day was, and it was just kind of off the cuff. He's like, you know, you should sell all of your residential stuff right now. And, and of course I was kind of taken aback, but between him telling me that and, and me kind of, you know, mulling it around and presenting it to another friend who is a very successful guy on, in, in other realms, not, not just real estate, um, when I said it to to that friend, you know, he totally challenged me on on my reason for not selling, and and my reason for not selling is, you know, I rely on these properties for income. Yeah. So if I sell them, you know, I'd, I'd get a big chunk of money, but my fear was, you know, how would I generate income off of that money while not eroding the principal? And you know, and it was a completely silly thought because I've created all of this from basically nothing. So, you know, my friend, you know, what his challenging point was, you know, if you can go from, you know, A to, or from nothing to, you know, X, why couldn't you go from X to, you know, five X within five years or whatever? Yeah. And so what that did, you know, because they challenged my thinking, I started looking at, you know, what can I do with my portfolio to get better returns? And that's where I, I decided to sell some things to pay off some debt. Um, and then, you know, you know I'm, I'm like I said, I'm moving things around the board to increase cash flow and so on, um, looking at refinancing options, things like that. So so it, had I not been networking with people who would challenge my thinking, I wouldn't be where I'm going to be, you know, a few months from now or, or even a year or two from now. Of course. Just, I love that. With my current portfolio, you know.
0: Yeah, it, it's so crucial. It really is. So surrounding yourself with those higher level people that think on a on a different level can challenge you and hold each other accountable as well, I think. Right, you know, Because next time you see them, most likely they're going to bring it up like, hey, so whatever happened with last time, what, you know, what we were talking about. Yep. Um, so that's awesome.
1: Yeah. And even though I can't bring myself to sell stuff, you know, I sold enough of it to to drastically increase my cash flow just from getting rid of bad debt. You know? Yeah. No, of course, of course. Credit cards, that sort of stuff, you know. Yep. Yeah.
0: Now, have you, have you ever thought about doing like the velocity banking strategy of taking a lot of this cash flow and just chunking down maybe each mortgage one at a time?
1: I think at some point I will, but at, at this point, I, I've needed my cash flow to live on. Okay. So there's not been a lot of extra cash flow, I guess. Okay. Uh, as we start buying commercial properties, my hope is that I'll be able to lean more on the commercial income for sure. And then that would allow me to take my personal portfolio because I'm going to be doing that with partners. Yep. Um, so then that'll allow me to not pay myself from my personal portfolio, yep. use that cash flow to pay down pay down debt. Yeah.
0: I love that. That's a great strategy.
1: Very smart. I've recently read life in air. Have you, have you read this? What is it? The book life in air? No, it's uh they bring it up on the bigger pockets podcast a fair amount. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a mix of rich dad, poor dad and Dave Ramsey. Okay. Um, basically get rid of your debts, get rid of, um, you know, live life more simply because then you don't need to make as much, um, so so I'll just give you an example. I mean, there there was a time where I thought I wanted to own, say 150 units and have, you know, in-house property management, in-house maintenance, you know, and have an an actual office and all these moving parts to this business. And now, not not just because of life and Air, but I mean, reading life and Air kind of reinforced my previous thoughts on this. I would rather have 60, 70 units paid off, or or the equivalent of that with commercial properties, and and have that cash flow, and not so many moving parts, and be able to manage everything from my living room instead of having the overhead of an office, and and feeling tied down to an office. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I love that, Brandon. So for any new person out there that doesn't have all the money in the world, you know, that that kind of found themselves in the same situation, you and I, you know, working working. Uh, almost minimum, minimum, uh, paying jobs, but trying to get into real estate on that creative side, you know, is there any, any resources or advice that you would give for somebody to, to really get educated, to think outside the box and get like creative in real estate to be able to get that first deal? Yeah. I mean, I I would go
1: back to networking. I mean, network with everybody. Okay. I bought most of my properties from landlords who wanted to retire you know, maybe, you know, they'd only have one or two properties and, you know, they were actually at retirement age with their job and the properties paid off, or even if it has a small balance. um, The nice thing about buying from landlords is they're already used to letting, letting a tenant move in with a small, small amount of money, their deposit. Yep, And they're, used to getting monthly income from the property. So for them to sell on land contract, it's kind of a natural transition. It is. You're gonna give them a small or or no down payment, and then you're gonna pay them monthly, you know? And I would hope that, you know, of course it depends on the class of the property and everything, but I would hope that, you know, you would come to them stronger than their average tenant. You know, I mean, I've got excellent credit. So, you know, probably better credit than their tenants, their average tenants. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a more solid, dependable paying source than their tenants would be. Plus, you know, I'm going to take care of the property. They have no issues. At this point, I set up my payments on ACH. So, yeah, you know, my my sellers get their payments that way. But I, it all goes back to networking. They need to network with other landlords. They can potentially find deals that way, um, off market. They need to network with private lenders. I mean, that's that's where it's at. If you don't have any money, you're you're going to have to bring somebody else's money into it, or yeah with nothing down, you know?
0: And then as far as legal paperwork going through lawyers in your local area or yeah. networking again and utilizing some of your paperwork.
1: Yeah. And, and, and with the paperwork, I mean, you know, I paid my attorney to, to do my land contract. I could have probably used, because he sent it to me as a Word document, I yeah. could have probably continued to use that without paying him each transaction. Yeah. But I continued, it was only 350 bucks. I continued to pay him for every transaction. 350 bucks is nothing. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I felt like I, I would feel like a jerk if I went to him with a land contract deal that I used a form that I'd previously paid for on another deal and filled in my own information. You know what I mean? Yeah. I took that to him and said, hey, I'm having this problem on this land contract. And oh, by the way, you know, it's your paperwork, but you didn't. Yeah, you didn't like, do like, it. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I paid him out of respect mainly uh, for every deal. And it worked okay. out great. You know, everything's worked out great. I will say something on on the land contracts on the, on the no money down thing. yeah, uh, you know there's so many books out there on you know buying real estate with no money down. yeah and to me, they never dived into the actual structure and the terms enough. yeah. so sure. I did write a small ebook, a cheap ebook. Oh, I love it yeah and i'll I'll make it I'll make it I think we talked about this. I'll make it free for it's a free download for say the next 30 days. I so, love so it. Most of your listeners should have a chance to, to get to that. After that, it's, it's, it's $5.99 through Amazon. Um, I, can, I can email you the link. Yeah, uh, but, uh, The book is called No Money, No Problem. Okay. It's subtitled something like how I bought, you know, a million dollars worth of real estate while making 14 bucks an hour or something like that. I, it's bad. I don't even remember the, the title of my own book. But <laughs> in that book, I, I really go into, I refer to it as more of a deal diary. Yeah. Go through a lot of my deals in, in really good detail. In the beginning, when I was buying a land contract, what I would do is, you know, say I was going to buy a duplex for 80 grand and I wanted to to write my offer in a way that would, you know, prevent me from bringing much money to the table. Yeah. I would, I would look at it and I'd say, okay, I'm going to get, you know, like 1200 bucks in credits for property taxes. I could kind of calculate where that would be. I would look at the leases and I would see that there was two security deposits for 500 a piece. So there's another thousand that I would get credit for. And then assuming we were going to close, you know, the first of the month or or the eighth of the month, like I said, I would calculate what I thought my rent proration would be. And if it was going to be like, you know, the credits totaled up to like $2,800, I would write my offer that I'll put $3,000 down asking for these credits. So then I'd be bringing, you know, a couple hundred bucks plus closing costs. Well, what would happen though? And, and again, I was broke, you know? Um, you know, I, I say that I had, you know, I put $3,000, you know, $5,000 down on all these other amounts in these other properties. Um, some of that was credit card, you know, 0% credit card loans, yep. you know, kind of doing some creative stuff like you were. Yeah. Was broke. So if if I was planning on bringing a couple hundred bucks plus my closing costs, and then all of a sudden, you know, a week before closing, one of the tenants moves out. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm not getting that, you know, rent proration or whatever, $500
0: security deposit. So now I got to come up with another 900 bucks, right? And that's happened to me before as well. Like I moved out as we're in the middle of closing and I was like, oh, perfect. (laughs) So now you got to come up with more money. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so what I did to work around that and it took me, you know, a handful of deals to get the wording right and to really think through it. I'm just going to read something from my, my, my letter of intent. Yeah. This is how I, how I, I work it to where my seller walks in. I, I used to tell my sellers, you know, you'll walk in with a set of keys and you'll walk out with a cash flow. You know, they're not getting a check. They're not bringing money. Yeah, You know, it's what, it, so, so this is, this is what I wrote in my, my letter of intents when I make an all land contract offer. The down payment is to be made up entirely from credits for prorated property taxes, prorated rent for the month closing takes place and security deposits that you have collected from the current tenants the land contract note amount will be the balance owed after the above credits have been subtracted. So you take your purchase price, you knock off your credits, whatever's left over, you know, we would apply whatever we agreed to as far as an interest rate and amortization term. And we come up with a monthly payment, but the seller's side of the closing statement shows $0 brought $0. You know, they walk away with $0. Yeah. So it balances it
0: out, you know, I love it. And goes out you still get your full credits, you know? Yeah, that's huge. So, are you doing a, uh, like a balloon payment at a later date or just kind of ongoing? So, they've been all over the map on what we've done but kind of my
1: bread and butter deal was um, 20-year amortization, five-year balloon, 5% interest, you know? Yeah. And I did a bunch of those. We did, we did one that had a three-year balloon. Um, I did another one that was a 10-year land contract with no balloon. Hmm. Um, I did a couple of 12 year amortizations, you know, rates have ranged from anywhere from like 2.9 on one deal up to my very first deal. I think we did an eight or 9% interest. Okay. Um, You know, most of them have been around five, 6%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I guess that whole process of negotiating—you're just taking it one one piece at a time. Down payment percentage. Let's talk about this, and let's. Does it get stressful? I guess on both sides, you guys go back times. and forth. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, there's been a little bit back and forth. I think with one of the, one of the things with this is you know you're negotiating with your lender, quote unquote lender, yeah, and your seller at the same time. Yeah. The downside of doing this kind of deal is you're either going to get a great price or yeah. you're going to get great terms. You're not going to get both, you know.
0: I love that. I love that. And what, what would you rather shoot for?
1: Well, when you're, when you're broke and you don't have money for down payments, you want the great terms, you know? Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I paid, I paid pretty close to retail on most of my deals, Yeah. but I got into them with, with nothing, you know? And, and over time, I mean, rents go up, the properties have went up. So it's been, it's been a good situation, but you know, with that, sometimes these deals take a long time to, to put together. Yeah. I can think of a couple where, you know, it took about a year from the initial contact. You know, we just kind of stay in touch and prod each other occasionally and, yeah. and it would happen. Um, my best deal, my 16 unit, that one took a little over three years and phenomenal deal. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great asset. It's four, four unit buildings on one parcel. They're all two bedroom bath and a half townhouses. Wow. I sent him a letter in 2013 And he called me immediately and, uh, you know, we chatted, kind of got to know each other. He liked the idea of selling on contract for tax reasons. Yeah. And, you know, that initial call, he told me he's not ready yet, but we'll stay in contact. And, you know, when he's ready, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. So, you know, we tap danced around the, the no and low down payment a lot the next couple of years. And, and I like to be upfront about it. I mean, I, when people ask about the down payment, I, I tell them, you know, typically I put nothing down and of course that gets mixed responses. But on this particular deal, this one's going to blow you away. He wanted um, $625,000 for this 16, 16 unit, the net operating income on that property. And he was sharing numbers with me each year as they come out, you know, and he shared previous numbers. He was averaging between 60 and 65,000 a year net operating income. You know, his 625 purchase price was fair. Right at the end, a second buyer showed up. So we ended up competing. I ended up making, we made three, he he wanted each of us to make three different offers, you know, play with the interest rate, play with the down payment, play with the term. And he would kind of just weigh it out or whatever, and the price. And I ended up, I I made three offers, but the offer that he accepted was 650,000 purchase price, $1,000 down, um, 5.5% interest, 30-year amortization, Mm. and the balloon, it's a a total six-and-a-half-year balloon. Um, We closed July 1st, 2016. He wanted to maximize his expenses in that year. So, you know, he he paid his spring taxes, of course, because those would have already been due. He paid the fall taxes, and then at closing, he gave me a check for the spring taxes instead of a credit. He just wrote me a check. So that was like $5,500 in cash I got closing. I put $1,000 down. So I'm already, you know, over four grand ahead. Yeah. Um, he gave me a check at closing for all the, the tenant security deposits and pet fees. So it was like, I think it was eighty eight seventy five. So a So $1,000 down. I got $14,000 at closing. Okay. $649,000 land contract. And it keeps getting better. Again, he wanted to maximize his expenses and, and lower his income in 2016 for tax reasons. So we had the first five months was no interest. Yeah. And the first six months was no payments. I love it. I yeah. love it. And uh, so my <laughs> first payment wasn't due until January, 2017. Oh, uh, good for you, brother. I love that. It was great. And it gets better. Um, we closed July 1st. So he had his property manager contact all the tenants and know and it's like, hey, don't pay your rent until the seventh. Yeah. That way I would have time to get in there and collect July rents. So that first week I collected like another eight grand in rent. So that property put a phenomenal amount of money in my Pocket that first year, which which I needed because we were rehabbing the <laughs> aforementioned meth lab that I mentioned earlier. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it was great. But I mean, that was a total. The deal was based on
0: building that relationship. That is some creative financing, right there. That's yeah. the definition of creative financing. And yeah. I, I love how you mentioned just a, a few minutes ago, price or, or terms. Like you're not going to get both. So figure out which one you want. I, I've been telling people this for a long time that. I, I truly do believe terms all day because yeah. you can get creative. It's all negotiable. You know, okay. if somebody wants $500,000 for a property or what have you, you know, whatever number it is, um, but it's only worth, you know, less than that, like, what do you, are you just going to walk away from the deal? You know, some people get very caught up on that price, the sellers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So instead, offer them a million dollars, go above and beyond. They're going to brag to all their friends and family that they got, you know, so much more than what it's actually worth. But then if you amortize it, you know, over or at 0% interest for a hundred years, the first payment's not due for the first five years or whatever, you know, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. You can do crazy things. So, you know, it's, there's so much power behind it.
1: Yeah. If, if I was going to do it over again, I would probably, I would probably, you know, incorporate the burst strategy a little more. Yeah. Um, what I have done, it worked, you know, and here I am, you know, five, six, seven years later on some of these properties, I'm not as highly leveraged as it was before. You know, okay. I, was, I had a ton of debt before, a ton of leverage, but now the properties have went up in value. I've paid yeah. down. Um, so I'm probably only, you know, 65, 68% loan to value across the whole portfolio. Nice. So I'm in good position now, but it was definitely not the fastest way to build that equity because most of my equity came just from paying the debt down, you know? Yeah. Uh, but you know the properties have appreciated a fair amount because you know like the sixteen unit, I believe it's worth like eight hundred grand right now. You know, I mean I've raised yeah. that operating income and cap rates have compressed. I mean we're probably talking about something that some of your your listeners might not follow completely there. But um, but between cap rate compression and and raising the NOI on that property, I mean I've increased the value a fair amount. You know, um, but if I was to do it again and wanted to do single family houses, I, to get both good terms and and good price. Yeah. If you did the burst strategy and use private money, you know, you could probably scale faster and, and be worth more than I am now with the same number of units in the same time frame. you know? Mm-hmm. So,
0: but you I, know. I, I agree. I, I love the burst strategy. That's what we focus on as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, tomato, tomato, you know, right, everybody, yeah. uh, it's it's the path that you guys uh, went on, I think the creative strategies and the mindset behind just just running your deals and, and what you just explained with your letter of intent I think that is huge. I think that's gonna help out so many listeners. Um, so I'm just really grateful for that. that's awesome. It's been a fun journey. I mean you know like you said there's there's a hundred different ways to invest in real
1: estate yeah what works for you. yeah um, I like to think that I can apply some of what I've done with small multifamily with, you know, mom and pop owned commercial. You can, you can see. Yeah. I, I think there's a, I th- I think there's some sellers out there who would go for that kind of stuff. I love and, it. And, and you know, this business, if, if you want to become a millionaire in this business, it's really as simple as borrowing a million dollars on good properties, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, and there's, you, a, there's
0: a difference between good debt and bad debt. So yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So, I mean, if, you, if you can use this strategy to leverage into several million dollars of the real estate, you're going to get
0: wealthy. You know? Oh yeah, I love it, Brandon, dude. I appreciate you so much. Like so much great knowledge here. What can the listeners do to give back to you? Uh, you just invested all your time and in, in pouring into them. So, is there anything that we can do to give back to you? Um, just just go. I mean, I'm not even going to make it about me. Just just go out and network with people. Build yeah. Build your
1: network, and that that's going to help me as well because you know the real estate community is huge
0: but it's so small at the same time. It is. Yep. I was going to say exact same thing. It is cool. I love it. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? I'm on Facebook, Brandon
1: Hicks. I mean, if you just search for the city or, or check your friends list.
0: Yeah. I'll I'll put it in the show notes as well for any of the listeners. Um, any other way you would uh, prefer? I'm on bigger pockets. Okay. So, so either way of those,
1: those ways, if they want to email me directly, um, I don't know. Should I give my email address?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Some people give their numbers. I think those guys are crazy, but by all means, give your give your email if you'd like. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so there's a, the
1: email that, that is, that goes along with my book is Brandon at Velcap investments, LLC.com. And I can share that with you. So you can share it in the, the show notes.
0: Cool. Yep. yep. And then, uh, like, like we said, um, Thank you so much for giving out the book for free for the next 30 days. So all the listeners, I highly encourage you to take action on that. Uh, a lot of great stuff in there and I'm looking forward to reading it myself. So it's, it's a quick awesome. read. I think it's only about 60 pages. So, you cool. know, but, but it's, it's very detailed. I mean, that was my whole goal with it. I love it. That's what it's about. Cool. All right, Brandon. Well, I appreciate you so much, man. I really do. I, I know uh, you know time's our biggest asset, and you just poured in a bunch uh, and gave away all the all the goodies. So I really do appreciate it. For any of the listeners out there, if you guys want to reach out to me, you can find me at brandonelliotinvestments.com on Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments, and then on Facebook.com/slash Brandon R E I reach out to me. would love to connect with you guys all individually and see how we can get you started. This whole show, it's all about educating, motivating, and preparing everyone to take action out there and really crush it in real estate for yourself. Because what it's done for me and my family, I'm sure Brandon, you can relate, you know, it's been a huge blessing. Yeah. So as always, we're really dedicated to getting this content out there to more people. So jump on iTunes, hit that subscribe button. So you get the newest release every single Monday and make sure to leave a review. Just helps iTunes algorithm, push it out there to more people. So appreciate you guys so much. Stay blessed and we will see you next Monday. Brandon, thanks again, man. Thank you. Take care. This has been another episode of ready, set, go real estate investing podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.